Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Kasim Hansen back on the show, and we dig into, initially, what were his biggest takeaways and lessons from the year that was 2023. I threw this out of left field and just wanted to know, off the top of his head, what really came to the forefront of his mind. Before diving into what his big goals personally and for his business in 2024, discussing some of the practical events that N1 run, and I wanted to know, what do people learn at those events that they can't from the internet? And I think that was a fruitful discussion. Before diving into some discussion surrounding quote-unquote optimal training at long muscle lengths, integrated partials, where might these be applicable, where not, and talking about some of the lessons that Kasim has learned through his study of that at his own HQ, where he has the ability to kind of test this upon many, many people. And I think this is a really interesting discussion that you guys are going to take a lot away from. And as a reminder, guys, this podcast really only grows by you guys. Thank you for listening, by the way. Uh, but if you can give us a review over on Spotify or wherever you're listening to it, if you can subscribe, that helps us too, whether or not that's over on YouTube or on Spotify or again, wherever you are. Any little bit of interaction you can give, sharing the podcast across social media, tagging me, tagging the person that I've interviewed, it's all very well appreciated. And if you know anyone who would love this stuff, sharing it with them, and I appreciate it always. But without further ado, let's get into the chat. So, Kaz, what has been your biggest lessons or biggest lessons from 2023? I know I've just thrown this at you. I didn't say this question was coming. So I'm kind of wanting just anything that initially comes to mind from the past year for you, what's been kind of some of the biggest takeaways that you've had? And maybe as we kind of talk through uh, this podcast today, more will come out. But what comes to mind, if there is any, it may have just reinforced some. Um, you could say one of the lessons is the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, 2023, I think was the year of like, you know, okay, now we're looking at the length and, you know, range of motion. We had, you know, two new meta analysis on volume, et cetera. And, you know, I think to me, like 2023 was the year of the pendulum swinging back to the middle, uh, on a lot of topics. Um, and to me, that stressed uh, how important um, context and communication are. And that's always been something I pushed. But the, the challenge of communicating context has been like that is kind of like my thing for 2024 is realizing that, you know what, as much as I'm trying, we still need to do so much better at communicating that not just myself but i think like as 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 an industry you know um as a whole uh i also turned 40 in uh 2023 congrats so um that's when we look at it right Um, (laughs) you made it (laughs) so yeah so contrary to popular belief like your bones don't just turn to dust um, but you immediately start throwing out that excuse now that yes. you're like, like so that so that 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 part is true. Like you be, you do become a forty year old mentally the day you turn forty, but physically it's it's more of a gradual transition. <laughs> I like what you said there in terms of it's just another reminder of how everything comes kind of it reinforces what a lot of the things that we already kind of knew. Uh, that is, in a sense, that's what science is often doing is either confirming or like and not confirming what we thought to be the reason for a certain outcome or it's giving is getting us closer to the truth there and i know when we spoke about uh, length and partials before we kind of referenced a lot of old school bodybuilders have been lifting with this like momentum and they're kind of with their back movements trying to kind of get to this goal of stimulus 
and people maybe incorrectly thought oh it's all ego lifting like they should clean up their technique it's like oh maybe maybe not uh, and so yeah like you said it's like coming back to the middle there uh, so that's really cool. And actually, as a side note, I'm not 40 yet, but I mean, everyone, I hopefully will get there like you and it's coming. Actually getting towards like your late 30s, 40s, has that changed anything for you personally? Have you changed anything in terms of your kind of priorities in life or the way you're driven to do things? Because even now being in my mid 30s, not that I'm having a midlife crisis, but my eyes are going towards things. I'm like, I never used to care about this in my 20s. <laughs> I don't think the chronological age has much to do with my priorities as much just to do with like where I'm at. I will say there's like the occasional, like you kind of reflect on, you know, how many years you've been on the planet and what you've accomplished so far. Um, you know, but I don't have like, I want to be done or I want to accomplish this by this date. It's more so of just constantly looking at what's the best way forward from where I currently am. And just evolving with that. Um, I try not to get caught up in the, hey, I'm this many years old and I've, you know, I've only done this or, you know, or, or that or whatnot. Because um, I, I think that's what that's one of those mental traps. that's just not not productive. You know, I think as we age. You know, obviously, I'm I have transitioned probably like in the last five years. I've transitioned out of like my own training and fitness journey to purely basically, you know, focusing on mentoring, you know, and whatnot. Um, and I think, you know, when that 40 number like comes around, it has kind of been like, you know what, like maybe I need to just be a little selfish again. Like maybe this is the year where I need to focus a little bit more back onto my, you know, partitioning more of the training towards my own diet and nutrition stuff right because it's very very easy when you have your own business to just just to put the business first right and i think if you look at any entrepreneur when they're starting a business there's always like this period where their health and their physique and whatnot suffers and then, then there's always like a breaking point where then they like flip the switch back and like now they've got people underneath them that can help them and then it's like cool so now i'm gonna go like full scale the other direction and i'm gonna get in shape and whatever so I think that, you know, that's like having that, you know, magical 40 number pop up is going to be part of the motivation of me, like actually putting my own training ahead of some other things this year that I previously would have been like, hey, you know, it's more important that I get X, Y, and Z done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. There's, there's only so much time in the day and like, especially once you're at the level that we're at, where you've probably been training longer than I have, but I'm kind of like 15 years plus now. It's like to really make strides in my physique. I mean, I'm, I'm not making strides anymore, but to make centimeters forward to tippy toe forward, I have to invest a lot. Like the return is quite little. So if you want to prioritize your business growth and actually, again, similar to your business, now your business is sizable to make growth there, you probably have to invest a lot. So it's like, you really have to start specializing a little bit within your life priorities. Yeah, I have already, I would say worked more from like middle of December now, like just in terms of consecutive hours over days this year than I ha ever have previously, because I really, really want to get ahead at the beginning of the year to afford that time later. You know, like, for example, I went through like um, all of our content over the last five years and we've like started like tagging and archiving things. And then we have an unbelievable amount of stuff. So like expect, 
you know, if you came to an event here and like, you know, three, four or five years ago, right, like expect a video of you crying in the leg extension to be popping up on our social media if I found it. So warning. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Yeah, I think I think about it sometimes with this podcast, even like the number of episodes I've recorded, but even like social media content, I'm like, I'm often recycling things, but creating it fully new. It's like, hey, that was still gold that you created many, many years ago, maybe just like make it look more presentable or something. So that's that's awesome that you have that uh, time to be able to invest into all of that. And actually that led me to a question where obviously we're reflecting on 2023. 20, uh, For 2024, do you have any kind of uh, big goals or projects that you're working on with the business with N1? So our goals this year are to kind of get more of the like the specialty type content out, you know, so most people know us for like biomechanics because that's basically the entry point. Um, ironically, like program design is where I kind of started making my head in the industry. And I saw like biomechanics is like, hey, I need to teach this so that people can actually apply the things that I want to teach in program design. Um, and so our goal is to get more of the, you know, hypertrophy specific content, more of the program design. So um, so we're having specialty, you know, events this year, or I should say more of them. We had one of each last year and this year we're going to have like three or four of each of those, because I think we've had enough people go through our curriculum and when enough people are kind of understand these topics now that like, cool, they can come and they can sit down and they can get the most out of what we offer in you know, on those topics where it's just like, because we can't talk about, oh, when, when I'm training for this style, I try to emphasize these ranges of motion if people don't actually understand what those ranges of motion are or we talk about like you know like the the intricacies of matching nutrition with you know the volume and the training style that you're doing et cetera, like that like so i think this year we'll be able to like really capitalize on the foundational stuff that we've been building over the last few years and that's always been the goal is to get enough people to understand the basics that we can take them to the higher level stuff because honestly that's I'm most excited about teaching advanced stuff, right? I mean, you can, you can only get so excited about teaching somebody what elbow flexion is. Like that's just, yeah. that's just the reality. Everybody needs to understand like the basics of how the body works, right? But as an educator, you know, there is a staleness that comes with teaching the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to being able to like get into some of those nuances on the programming stuff with our students this year um, and really also kind of bring some of that stuff to social because previously we haven't been doing a lot of it because we didn't have a ton of places for, for people to go. And now we'll be able to kind of like throw those tidbits out there since well, there's a whole curriculum for it. That's very exciting. Yeah. I think people will really enjoy your take there because uh, I guess that's more of the, the art versus the science necessarily because it's, something that we don't know the, the training studies are often only ran for 12 weeks or something it's like what's the long-term plan here what's the long-term periodization and that's where you can give more of your uh, own personal anecdote and evidence or interpretation of various mechanisms to present your periodization and various phases that you would like to go through and obviously i imagine in the background you've also been applying this with clients for extended periods of time and refining it and getting it better i suppose the closest we've ever come to discussing it was the uh kind of a discussion with Mike Israel over deloads and that was about mm -hmm. as far as we got about <laughs> periodization and your kind of met methodologies in that regard and it's probably like evolved slightly even since then I imagine too yeah I mean to me you know programming you know 
there's a science component. There is what you take into it in terms of all of your previous experience, but really it's about having, it's about being able to problem solve with what you know, right? Because I think this is, you know, this is like the ideal versus optimal debate, right? Like ideal being like, hey, this is the, like the, in a perfect world, this is what you would do. And optimals is like, okay, but for you and the things that you have to deal with, what actually is the best approach, right? Like the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That's often not how we get to places, right? We often have to deviation or there are often reasons to go left or, or right for for an individual. So uh, a lot of, you know, what we offer is taking what we do have from a science and observation collection over time and then apply, okay, now, when we look at an individual, how do we use this stuff to problem solve for that individual? So we basically have to like add the the human element into it, right? And I think that's where I think that's where most coaches that are really, really good, where they excel, is that they actually they solve the problems that their clients need them to solve. They don't, you know, they're the, it's not it's not that being up to date with the latest research is great. It's just that if that doesn't have any impact on what your client can do, or it doesn't like actually empower you to solve the real world problems that are preventing them from getting, I mean, cause for instance, we, you know, in our transformation course, most people that have a huge body composition goal, it's not because they haven't fine tuned their technique on their RDL, right. Or it's not because they haven't figured out the exact, you know, degree to failure to train, or it's really, it's just like, Hey, what they need to figure out is how to balance life and schedule and whatnot. And so then when they're in the gym, how do they get the most out of that? Right. Cause you know what, maybe the rest intervals that are in the research are garbage for the people that only have three hours a week to train. Cause that's just simply not enough work to get. So what may look, you know, ideal in terms of a program on paper for them, it might be like, actually, no, our program has to be much more fast paced. We have to do these things. We have to choose maybe exercises that aren't as specific for a given muscle, but they target more muscles. So, and then you'll have somebody that's completely on the other end of the spectrum. So the thing that I look at is from a programming perspective is we really look at trying to put everything in a stimulus window. Like it's like, okay, these, this is the most important thing that I want to accomplish. And then based off of this individual, how do I get them to achieve that given the limitations they have in time, equipment, motivation, training effort, skill, et cetera? And so it's taking what we know from science, what we've observed in training, and then adjusting that to the end of one. I adore that. Uh, I don't know if this is, I mean, it's completely coincidence. Uh, I did a vlog a while ago. It was like comparing Mike Mentzer, high intensity, low volume training versus like Arnold high volume training. And it was like, there's camps and people like, uh, I don't know, not happy with one another. And really everyone's just going after stimulus, what you just mentioned there. And how, when you even consider like 10 to 20 sets, it's such a wide range. And then where's that volume coming from? What rep ranges is it? What's your kind of rest times? All these other elements that come into stimulus, which is the goal. And there's so many routes to get there. And how do we get there? It's like you just mentioned. What's ideal? Like uh, there might be something ideal on paper that a, a select handful of people can do because they can dedicate their life to it or whatever. But then it's kind of what's optimal for the client at hand. And optimal isn't, again, like just 
something to that's the same for everyone it's the individual context is is so important and, and again it comes back to your n equals one so yeah i love that you've come to that kind of same point as well because uh, i think i was thinking about it when i was looking at like volume landmarks in my head they'd started to just evolve towards being stimulus landmarks versus volume because volume can be so different depending on the exercise the person all those various factors that have been mentioned yeah, volume is a is a nebulous term, I think, right? Like uh, oftentimes, like most people, like they look at it as volume of sets, right? Um, but take, for instance, the most recent study, the like 52 sets thing, right? Okay, where there have such a short rest interval between these things, right? And it's like, okay, um, I think, uh, and I think my, Milo attempted to replicate it. And I was like, send me, send me, send me your training loads, you know, for that. Right. And it's, I think it was something close to, he was doing about half the load for about half as many reps just by the end of the squats. And so it's just like, okay, it's 52 sets, but really is it 52 sets in the way that people would conventionally thinking about sets? Because most people aren't doing sets where they're performing, with half of the weight and doing half as many reps, right? So really, you know, for a lot of people, volume is like, you could look at it in the context of just like, almost, you could look at it through volume load, or you could just look at it as volume over time, meaning that like, how hard are you working for how long? Like, like I posted a couple questions up on my stories, actually, um, asking people like, okay, hey, would you consider two 45 minute leg workouts a week? like? A ridiculous amount of volume and everybody's like no right but that's exactly what the study was yeah. basically right and then i just rephrased the question of like hey would you consider like 52 sets with you know whatever a tremendous amount most people are like that's yeah, an insane amount of volume and then i basically estimated what would be about the same volume load if we you know just rested longer so like so say you did like half as many sets, but you had longer rest and it would accomplish a similar volume load. And most people are like, yeah, that's kind of high, but it's like, you know, it's, it's reasonable. And I'm like, well, the volume that they did may have been more reasonable. They just chose to do it with a lot more sets and very short rest. So they were just like the sets counted for less, right? So really it's like, you know, is that fake volume? Like, it's just, I think, you know, volume is such a nebulous term that like when it gets thrown out, it's really, that's why it's like, yeah, taking things back to stimulus, that's the currency that we need, right? Because sometimes volume is, set volume is a lot per set. Sometimes it's not very much per set. And then, and then that goes back to like, well, okay, yeah, there's so many ways to get to that stimulus, you know, I mean, because a workout looks very different if you're doing, you know, 10 sets with, you know, four minutes rest between versus, you know, an absurd amount of sets with two minutes rest between, right? Or, you know, go back to the Vince Gironda, you know, eight sets with 30 seconds between, right? Like, is that eight sets or is that really one really long set, you know, or do we even really care? And it's just like, hey, you know what this is, is basically it's 64 reps with a 15 rep max. That's kind of the volume load that we're, we're getting out of this seven and a half minutes that we're working, you know? I think that the, the referring to the 52 set study there is the perfect example of like, again, you basically adjusted to equate volume load and maybe that got to a very similar amount of stimulus. Like it's two roots, like one rested more. So each set counted for more stimulus totally. It's funny. I, I literally just kind of um, posted up on Instagram on my story. Then my total quad weekly volume, which is something I'm prioritizing at the moment, was 15 total sets. And a few people messaged me and was like, is that in one workout? 
I was like, no, they were like, oh, because, you know, the 52 set <laughs> like study that came out, I thought you were maybe experimenting with higher volumes. I was like, okay, maybe if I rested a really short period of time, then I, I could, but I'm not training like these guys in that study. I'm training, like I'm taking the rest I need for every set to be like a really high quality set, which is why my sets are so low. So that's where, again, you come back to what you circled to, which was context. So, so key. And yeah, I saw your post on Instagram was like, you explained your workout and you said, like, what would you think if you heard I did this many sets? But then what if I gave you the context of it took this long because I was taking really short rest periods? You'd be like, oh, OK, I get it. So uh, I, I love that. And I love that that's a kind of goal of yours for 2024. And another question I had, I don't think I've heard you ever talk about this, Kasim, was you do a lot of practicals. And obviously that's part of like uh, N1 is the biomechanics, teaching people how to kind of execute these movements. I know I pick up a lot of the ones that I've been trying to do <laughs> that you guys have shared quicker if I was able to get to one of your practicals and do them. But I was just wondering if there's anything you do at those events that allow you to educate in a certain way that people wouldn't pick up online. Is there anything you can get into? And then in addition to that is what do you tend to find when people go to those events that they take away most of the time that maybe they didn't realize like uh, before going to the events? I know you've had even some kind of educators in the space come and do like sessions with you and things. And I wonder what they walk away with or at least what they tell you they walk away with. Um. Well, you know, they pull around and then they find out, right? That's That's how it works, right? Uh, when it comes to, when it comes to training, like biomechanics, exercise technique, et cetera, you know, we live in a world where we have so much access to information through a screen and that's great, but there is such a huge gap in trying to learn a movement there versus being able to do it in person. Um, you know, what we can do in terms of looking at things in three dimensions with depth, what we can do in terms of like being able to illustrate things on a body and then actually taking it over into different machines and setups and whatnot, and then having people actually go through the, the process. Cause for a lot of these things, like I've sent you like, you know, like a lab video showing you like, Hey, there's, there's an order of operations where if you just simply, if you rotate your trunk first versus do lateral, like you just end up at a different spot. Right. And so if you just see somebody doing an exercise, and you haven't actually gone through the process of how do I set my body up in relationship to this? And then how do I actually move to get into these positions? Odds are, you know, you might end up in a completely different position. And maybe you can do something that, quote unquote, looks similar to a video, but it you may still be missing, you know, certain aspects of specificity or range of motion. So what you can teach people physically hands on is massively you know, we'll say more productive in terms of technique stuff, right? That's just, that's just the reality. And also simultaneously, I have a group of, you know, 20 individuals. So that means that from a coach's perspective, we're going to have somebody in there with, you know, short tibias and long femurs. I'm going to have somebody in there with a round rib cage and somebody in there with an oval rib cage, right? We're going to have somebody in there that looks like Gumby and somebody in there that looks like Johnny Bravo and whatever. And so we could be like, okay, cool. Like, look, all of these people are going after the same stimulus and the same tissue, but visually 
that elbow path is going to look different from one person, right? Or visual, or we're going to need to set up the, you know, wedges on a squad differently, right? Or, you know, when you're looking at the angles of somebody on a pendulum, one person's going to be like, well, his knees aren't going that far over this or whatever. I'm like, well, that's, it, it's, it's a totally different. One person's got 18 inch calves, another person's got eight inch calves, right? Like, you know, there's going to be different landmarks there, different leverages. So the ability to do all of that in real time, and then have people not only practice themselves, but they all work in a group where basically it's like, okay, they're going to have other people that they are going to help set up and go through this process. And no two people are going to be exactly the same. You can't get that through a, a video format, right? You know, who knows? Maybe one day we'll get to some sort of VR thing where you can be like, you know, we can put hologram, you know, anthropomorphics in there. It's like, okay, here's a person with, you know, long femurs and short tips. Let's look at how you would set them up for the squat. You know, that'll be cool, right? I'll probably be like, I'll probably be aged out of the technology by the time we <laughs> get there, though. Um, but uh, I think that's that's the big thing. In terms of technique, the other aspect is actually understanding the experience of different types of training. Um, so both like in our biomechanics course, we basically or our practical, we basically spend a certain amount of time covering the theory. And then, you know, and then we actually look at like, OK, Let's look at the anatomy and, and the mechanics and stuff like that, you know, and discuss all of the physics, et cetera, that we would need to so that people understand the why. And then we get to go through the hows. And then they have to apply that with good technique. But then they essentially have to apply that with effort. Because basically, I mean, it's great if somebody can move a cable, you know, exactly the way they're supposed to with like, you know, an RPE of four, right? But that like you can like and i think this is uh this is something that's really prevalent in the mind muscle you know feeling based community in terms of like look if you don't load something enough you can pose your way through a lot of motions right like you can just you can contract something disproportionate to how it's really involved in a movement just if you just get to the point where like yeah i can contract my pecs when i want to i could just you're basically posing while choreographing an exercise. But you can't do that under fatigue and load. So the way that we actually test the proficiency is, is like, okay, after we've practiced setting up and doing the movement, is now let's see, can you maintain that technique when you have to use more challenging loads, when you have to push close to failure, when we're pushing even beyond failure into things like partials, et cetera, when we've come in from a pre-exhausted state or when you are in a faster paced, more systemically demanding, you know, you know, workout where it's just like, yeah, because real world situations, not everybody gets to like do a set of squats and then just sit around for five minutes, right? Some people may have to go do two other exercises or something and come back in, or they may have to rush shorter intervals between those things because look, they have to get the work down, work done in, in, in the time that they have, right? The irony is, is that most of the people that argue about these things are people that have all this extra time to argue about these things, right? <laughs> which doesn't apply to the, which doesn't apply to the people that don't have that time. Um, so there's that aspect of actually being able to like experience, like trying this stuff, like, and there's no better place to experiment than when you're in a room with 20 other coaches and, you know, instructors. Because if you're going to, man, if, if you're, if you're going to 
if you're going to fuck around and find out like that's the uh, that's the ideal place to do it. Right. You know, because one, it's a supporter group. But two, it's like, OK, cool. You have all of these eyeballs watching you and you can get all of this feedback now. Right. Like when when else are you going to be in a room and you're going to have 20 coaches that are all kind of in tune to the same thing? They're going to be like, oh, actually, you know, you could have moved your foot this way a little bit, you know, et cetera, whatever. Um, and then I think the other aspect of it, like from a programming perspective, is. You know, when it comes to different training types or pushing through, um, you know, there's different like load is one challenge, right? Using short rest intervals is a different challenge. You know, continuing to push through a very high rep set, that's a totally different challenge. So um, a lot of a lot of what we also try and do is to try and have people do different archetypes of programs and whatnot so that they can experience and understand the fatigue components and hey what does it take to maintain technique or you know like what is the experience of training this way in this exercise versus this other exercise so we'll have people do similar protocols on say exercises that have two different qualities like maybe they have different resistance challenges or different ranges of motion or one is very stable and one and, and one is not so that they can kind of get the idea of like okay cool if this is what I'm going for from a, a stimulus and a rep scheme and a RIR, et cetera. How does that line up with this exercise versus this other one? And I think when people experience that practically, they, they learn it a lot better and they're much more cognizant of what they put on paper. But if you haven't really like, if you haven't really realized what the limitation of doing a certain protocol with an exercise is, you might not be that hesitant to just throw it in the program, right? And then your client's going to be like, yeah, this really sucks. And you're going to be like, ah, oh, just suck it up and, and, and do it or whatever, unless you've done it in yourself. Like, and you're like, yeah, that really, that, that that's quite awful. And actually the, like the, the stimulus return on that is not near worth, you know, the effort and, and the fatigue costs. Right. And then the other, on the other aspect, you're like, yeah, this might acutely be difficult, but actually the ability to recover from that is, is, is fairly good. So this is, this is a place that we can, you know, really push. Um, and I don't like you would have to do like a, a whole bunch of programs to do that versus basically we will take people through basically a whole bunch of different training types in a, in a small number, small number of days. Right. And get to experience that. You know, so, for example, um, one of the things that we'll do is we'll actually have people do volume load test with uh, different rest protocols. And so basically we're collecting data on top of actually having these people experience because you can read a study, but how many people actually take the effort to replicate this stuff of like, okay, what is the difference in terms of volume load that I could get if I rested two minutes versus three minutes and I did the same like, you know, number of sets and reps, you know, total or, or whatever, or if I did the same number of sets to, to failure, et cetera. Like, so what we do is we equate for time basically, right? So it's basically, it's like, well, okay, we're going to do 13 minutes of elbow flexion. One arm's going to do a set every two minutes. One arm's going to do a set every three minutes. Which one's actually going to accumulate more volume load over the course of the time, right? And then we'll also do things like with the length and partials where it's like, okay, this exercise here, you know, we're going to test it out with length and partials on one arm and regular reps on the other arm. What does that do for the total number of lengthened exposures that we get, right? And spoiler alert, there's a lot of exercises where, I think length and partials are pointless, right? Uh, because when I when I look at it, is like, I mean, 
when we look like if an exercise is already lengthened bias enough, what tends to happen is you can't get any partials at the end of a set. Or if you do do partials, you're not really able to accumulate any more volume in that. And I don't think that there's any logical road we can take down that if by doing the length and partial, we don't actually get more volume in that lengthened position that it would be in any way superior, right? We would have to make the conclusion that doing the short position was somehow catabolic or anti-hypertrophy in that instance. But in all of the instances where when we do the length and partial, it increases the number of exposures, right? So it increases like the volume load specific to that lengthened position. Those are probably great places to put that, right? And so we'll have people experiment with like, okay, if we set up the prime machine like this versus doing a cable, like we'll see how this is a very different experience, right? And so it's like, okay, like if you had this, do you need to worry about doing lengthening partials versus if you were limited to this, is that maybe a very good idea to getting the most out of the stimulus? And, and what are the different ways? Like we compare integrated versus, you know, partials at the end versus partials only and stuff like this. So a lot of it is actually putting people like in the same conditions of like the ways that you know this would be tested in the research, but in a way that they can experience the feedback, right? And the other thing is it also does allow us to show the variance across individuals, right? So we'll have 20 people, which sometimes is more than there is in an actual study, right? You know, and we get to do these like several times, you know, so we can look at like, hey, you know, we've done this at like eight events or whatever, so we can throw up the like the, the you know the the cumulative data or whatnot there, right? It's not as scientific as a controlled study environment, right? You know, but also our population is all exercise professionals as well, right? So there's that little niche to it. Um, but I think when you actually take the time to test some of the stuff out, I think it gives you some clarity in terms of like, okay. You, you can read and you can listen to all the different opinions and whatnot, but really I think, you know, the best way to kind of make a decision is to also have your own personal experience on it to combine with that. And when it's real world experience, you then have a lot of the nuances that you're not going to get from the paper, right? So for instance, if you haven't done that 52 set workout, you can only imagine what it feels like to do that, right? You know, you can only imagine the level of discomfort and suck and just like the like the mental fortitude that it takes to just keep grinding like that versus you know what maybe you're, you're regularly training right i i have a guess that a lot of people are not in 2024 just going to switch to doing 52 sets with two minute rest or like or 26 twice a week with two minutes like i doubt that is going to be the squat leg press protocol for the majority of people right and there's probably some good reasons, good reasons why. Um, but when you do things yourself, you get a lot of the nuances of like, okay, well, how challenging was that? You know, what what was the experience of like that? Would I actually do that? Right? Would I expect somebody to do that after an eight-hour shift of being like on on their feet or or whatnot? You know, et cetera. You know. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we 
we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better. If you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. So much good stuff there, Kasim. I just want to circle back to initially like the technique aspect. Uh, I completely agree. Even more basic exercises like your squats, deadlifts. I mean, I call those basic. They're still there's a there's quite a, like a harsh learning curve there. But even those, like if someone's a complete newbie, I'm like, I'm an online coach. Get a one-on-one -on -one good PT that can teach you these basic things, and and then I can come in. Even as a bodybuilding coach, like posing again, I'm like. If you can get hands on with a good posing coach, that's going to like expedite your progress. And then I can come in with little tweaks. And I think about this with a, a coach in general. I think they're like a, I always talk about it like a console game. You have walkthrough guides that help you get through the game quicker. I'm like a coach is going to expedite that process for you because you're going to avoid the pitfalls and everything like this because they have so much experience with themselves and others. And they're, they're an expert after all. And so I think your events here are kind of like that, where you get to like skim read or kind of completely read this walkthrough guide to take it away with you in future. Because uh, many of the things you mentioned there are things I do personally and why I, I kind of, I use this as a bit of an excuse, I guess, to prioritize my own training in some ways, because first and foremost, I'm a competitor and I, I, that's why I love what I do. I, I love bodybuilding, but also I like to experiment with the, these things before I give it to clients. But that can take a while before I like, I don't know, start a new mesocycle, rotate this exercise in and try it out and what have you. Whereas if you can do it all in like a weekend, there's so much that you can learn over that period of time. And I think there is so much value in self-experimentation that I think a lot of the people probably listening, myself included in the past, I was just like, oh, follow the evidence, like follow the science, follow those recommendations. It's got to work for me. But we're all individuals and you learn so much by doing. I recently saw actually, I think it was Jordan Peters. Um, I saw Joe Bennett share it. And this is, I don't agree with everything Jordan puts out, but I strongly agreed with this message he was putting. It was like, let 2024 be the year where you don't have to ask someone to follow a certain split or like do a certain exercise or whatever. Like go and kind of experiment and find out for yourself because uh, that's something that I think has been really lacking within certain spaces. And this is something, again, you're, experience over a weekend is allowing people to get that hands-on experience which is just invaluable so yeah you made so many points about like different people uh, like and how you even get to see it where they might be built slightly differently and you can learn that versus how it feels to you and again uh, with technique uh, another good point you made is you can see a technique video online, but often these are people who are using half the load of what they'd use for a working set. It looks pristine, it looks pretty, and you're like, oh, that's how my working set has to look. It's like, well, your working set, it should look close, but it's gonna look a little different in some areas because when you are working with that high level of intensity, which we have to go to, it's not gonna look as slow and controlled maybe in some aspects and like, I don't know exactly follow this, but kind of a line of pull or what have you. So yeah, so many kind of gold nuggets and I think, um, I don't know how many you're running this next year, but I imagine you're running a few and people, if they're kind of in close proximity or, I mean, even if they're further afield, maybe they should try and make their way there. Cause I mean, you sold it pretty well to me. I, I would be very interested in actually experiencing one. Yeah. I, I think about a third of our students tend to be, um, international actually at, at, at this point. Um, part of that is just because I think people in the U S are, are a little lazy, um, you know, but to, to build on what you said. 
um, man, have fun and be curious with, with your training. One of my favorite experiences, uh, you know, over the course of my journey was like when I started taking, you know, courses and whatnot. And I was, I was a student of, you know, Charles Poliquin back in the day and he would run, you know, all, a bunch of seminars and whatnot. And his training seminars were brutal. So like, so his hypertrophy uh, workshop, like people, people come to our thing and it's, it's, it's very hard. Uh, and you train uh, six times over, over four days. Um, Charles's hypertrophy boot camp, you trained three times a day for five days. Right. So, <laughs> it, and, and one of those days you had like, uh, an hour, an hour long calf workout. And it was basically like you were wrote, like you were doing a calf exercise, like every 60 to 90 seconds for like, you know, the full, the full hour. Right. And then everybody's walking around like they pooped their pants the next day. Um, but you know, what's interesting is so many people like, you know, you know, they would, they would look and they would see these programs like on teen nation or, or, or whatever. Right. Um, and I would see so many coaches like just for their gen pop clients, just like, Hey, I'm just going to throw you the, the six twelve twenty five program, which for people, if you haven't done that, it's like the traditional like template was six reps of front squat. Right. And then 12 reps of back squat and then 25 reps of heel elevated squat, like back to back, no, no rest. That was, you know, one, one round. And, that's that's brutal right like <laughs> you know um and you know people are just like oh yeah we'll just like apply this and without understanding the context of what's used or actually going and experiencing it or with most people if they just see a protocol online and it's a brutal protocol and then they do it without somebody actually pushing them and making sure that they're choosing appropriate loads a lot of people will massively under execute a given program um, and this is one of the things like I like when, when it comes down to like when we're working on our effort sets, half of what I'm doing is walking around and adding weights to people's stuff because they're they're still hesitant to put on that load or challenge it. And I'm like, hey, you know, this is, you know, you're in the leg press now. What's the worst that could happen? Right. you got a coach on each side. You know, worst case scenario, you 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 get stuck for a second. Like you're not going to die put the plates on there. This is, this is the time to find, to find yeah. that out. Right. And, you know, having some curiosity and having some fun and while it may not be ideal or, or even optimal, I think there is not only a character building, but a, there's definitely an education that comes from, you know, experiencing things on different ends of the spectrum of like, okay, that was way too much. And this was, this was way too little. And this was like, okay, like, a lot of the th a lot of the things that have led me to being a better coach now are all of the experiences I've had of things that I'm like, yeah, that did not work out, or that was the juice was not worth the squeeze on this thing, right? And so, what can I what can I learn from that, right? And I think you know, one of the things you can get from your own experience is really understanding, not just like, okay, this this is not what I want to do, but also understanding some things is like, there is a time and a place where this is. And then there's, this is not the time or this is not the place. And a lot of times it's very hard to pull that out from the literature or from a textbook, right. Until you, until you really experience it, right. Like if you haven't, if you haven't tried to move a set of heavy dumbbells under a certain degree of fatigue or, or something like that, you know, you, you can't read that into, you know, like there's no textbook that's going to tell you like, Hey, what's that experience like, you know, and how, 
like for a lot of programs, like especially like some of those superset programs, there'd be like you'd go from like the first set to the second and be like, oh, this is this is fine. I got this. And the third would be like, oh, and then the fatigue change from the third to the fourth set would be like four times the change from the second to the third set. And it's like, okay, that's not in the book, right? And it's like, okay, so that's that's an important thing to understand. It's like, okay. There's a certain amount of volume when you're training like this where all of a sudden you the fatigue just goes, you know, and like your performance just massive, massively drops. So it's like, okay, the ROI at that threshold, that's, that's a huge, huge change, right? There isn't a thing in Excel where when you move a number once, it says like, actually, this is like moving the number five more points, you know? Yeah, I, I like that. And uh, yeah, something you mentioned actually previously I was going to jump on was where you think maybe the length and partials maybe don't really show any particular benefit and i guess in a sense i think you've spoken to me about this before and it makes complete sense that some movements are almost inherently length and partial in the way that the resistance profile is because uh if, for example a bubble back squat or a squat pattern often hardest at the bottom easier as you come up or doing like a bench press or dumbbell press again harder at the bottom easier as you come up and these are some areas i experimented with i did some length what was it length and partials i did on the smith machine leg press and these areas i like they were hell and i was just like eh. it didn't the return on investment didn't feel worth it to me in those situations uh whereas with like some of the pulling movements where theoretically it makes more sense because of the strength and resistance profile of a lot of movements it, it did feel like it was actually really beneficial and calves one i scream and shout about like my calf training has never felt so productive skipping that top portion um are these some of the areas where you have found that length and partial work not to be uh, is that where you think it's not going to be as beneficial and people don't need to worry about it so much in those situations yeah so the first thing is like with the range of motion that can also be kind of a nebulous term right because where it's like we're in most instances, they're talking about the range of motion of an exercise, not the range of motion of, of the tissue, right? And I think yeah. that's that's what we touched on, you know, before, right? Like a dumbbell press is already a length and partial for the pecs because you're you're skipping all of the range of motion where the pec would protract and come around the body, right? So it's already it's already there, right? And then you add on the top that like the resistance profile of a dumbbell press is already more challenging at the bottom and it's it's dropping off. So oftentimes, like when you have a lengthened enough resistance challenge, there will not be an inherent increase in how much lengthened exposures. And that's that's the that's the term I've been using. It's just like lengthened exposures so that people understand that. Because so if I do an integrated partial, right, that's one and a quarter rep, but I that's two lengthened exposures. Like that's how I'm kind of illustrating this concept, right? This is like, okay, so if we're using this technique, if the benefit is really coming from increasing the number of times we get the lengthened exposures that's kind of the currency that i'm looking towards it's like all right lengthened exposures is the more stimulating portion so if i'm going to apply this technique i should be able to get more lengthened exposures than if i were to use the more standard range of motion for the exercise um and there is going to be some slight variance on things like so for instance like uh, i think milo and i have different experiences with the rdl right whereas for me if i do partials on an rdl I, the amount of length and exposures I'm going to get goes way down because of the amount that it restricts my breathing, et cetera. Right. And so my volume load is going to go way down, um, versus just doing regular RDLs, but the RDL is already 
a lengthened hamstring motion, right? You're already getting to the, the stretch there, and the resistance challenge is already greatest at the bottom. So yeah, so the RDL is already a motion where you're getting to a lengthened hamstring, and the resistance challenge is already at the bottom, and the top position is not producing a ton of fatigue. So we wouldn't expect that eliminating the top position would add to you being able to do a bunch of extra reps and lengthen because you're not you're not eliminating much fatigue and your muscles already getting the you know the most lengthened bias portion of it heavily loaded whereas when we look at something like you know your cable pull down right where it tends to actually be harder in the short position then there's a there's a huge difference right like because it's, it's 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 flipped right so a simple test um that you could just do for yourself on a given exercise. Like if you wanted to do, is you could just see like, hey, how many partials can I get after doing my full range failure? Like hit full range failure, how many partials are left? And the threshold I've kind of decided is like, hey, if it's not like three or more, there probably isn't much like it's probably not worth doing just partials on their own maybe just like if you want to just do the one or two like little grunty partials that you can at the end and, and that's probably good right because the fatigue that you're getting from the short position likely isn't hindering you that much right in that instance if it's if it's not making a difference there or you could simply just say hey okay if i go if i take the same load to absolute failure full range and then with just partials you could also just compare those two numbers so those are the two ways that i, that I look at it and same thing like if i'm not getting like more like if i got 10 full range reps if i'm not getting 13 or more partials that makes me think like okay it probably doesn't make that big of a difference if any in this instance but a lot of times what you'll have is you know you might get you know 50 percent 100 percent more repetitions in some of these exercises, right? So like, you know, for instance, you know, if the cable pull is a great example, like you might get the same number of reps as partials as you did full reps after you've already reached full range, you know, failure, right? And that may even be more exaggerated if say you do the the approach where you just do the, you know, the scapulothoracic motion, basically where you're just doing like elevation and depression at the end of pull downs to kind of, you know, isolate the lats a little bit more from the other shoulder extensors, for example. Right. So there's like if, when you're looking at applying that, it's like, well, man, that's taking it to another level because not only we're eliminating the range of motion, but we're, we're, we're eliminating one of the other functions where there's a lot more other muscles that are contributing. And now I'm basically going from something that was a little bit more of an integrated exercise of like all of the shoulder extensors to basically I'm extending the set mostly just for the lats without extending it for the delts and the teres and the elbow flexors, you know. Um, so I think that principally, the best place to apply length and partials is if there's an exercise where there's a high fatigue cost in the short position and a low stimulus in the lengthen, right? So that's going to be anything with a shortened bias resistance challenge, right? Um, and if you want to test this out, it's not extremely it's not extremely hard to do, especially if you it's an exercise that you can do unilaterally, right? But I mean, even if you're doing like even if bilateral pull downs was what you wanted to put in your program, it doesn't mean that you couldn't do a set of unilateral close enough that it would give you the information that you wanted, right? And I think where a lot of people can really benefit from this is with machines, right? Because you know I can tell people what the resistance challenge of a dumbbell press is. And it's going to be the same in my gym as it is in your gym, okay? 
but our leg curls might be completely different. Our leg extensions might be completely different. The chest presses that we have might, might be very different. Right. And so for some of those, like, so I think like for machines, you know, you can look at the cam and whatnot, but if you're not really good at judging, like how challenging something is, and it can be misleading because we, we get tired in the short position regardless as a set goes on. Right. So something can seem like, Oh, cool. It's, it's a lengthened bias challenge on the first of your 12 reps. But then by the time you get to like the eighth rep, the short position now starts becoming the harder place. Right. And that will, that will happen in exercises that are quote unquote, a little bit more balanced in their profile is they might start off like, okay, I can tell that it's heavy in the length and then there's a little bit of drop off, but that drop off might not be enough to mitigate the fatigue. So by the time the set ends, the short position is still what causes you to stop the set earlier. So in those instances, you'd still be able to bang out a decent number of partial reps, you know? So, man, I think partials are one of the things that people can have some fun with, like just screwing around in their own training, um, you know? And I do think that we need to be cautious of just like, you know, and, and Milo's probably gonna, you know, do a reaction video to this and that's fine, um, of like just saying, hey, length and partials just unanimously good because in the research, they were never worse. But I think it's important to understand that in the research that we do have, they are missing exercises that are representative of what we're talking about. So we have leg extensions, we have leg curls, we have calf raises, you know, uh, preach like all of like the majority of the research is on things that have a fairly like consistent resistance challenge. And those are likely going to be great candidates, but there aren't, we don't have a bunch of research on things that would be already very length and biased in the resistance challenge. So there's not something representative of the RDL in that research yet, right? The closest thing we would have to the squat and, you know, depending on which squat study you look at and how you value those, you have the one squat that's like, well, actually the, there wasn't that big of a difference in, you know, the full range versus the, the 90 degree. I think that was the, um, so the Kuba study, the one, the one like that or, or whatnot, you know? Um, so, I think, you know, I think there's definitely rooms to fill in the gaps. And I would love to see the research actually look at some of these exercises that already have a very length and bias resistance challenge and see if we still get that. Or what's the change in magnitude, right? Do we go from like, hey, on these exercises, maybe it makes like a five to eight percent difference. And on this, you know, not not so much, you know, um, you know, and then the other aspect is. You know, I still look at the uh, that leg extension study, and I still look at that group that did both the length and then the short partials, and the results that they got. And I'm like, okay, if we're talking in the context of like, you know, length and bias versus a short and biased exercise, you have to choose one for hypertrophy. Which one are you going to choose? Choose the length and bias method. That seems to be the place to go. But do we know that there's no benefit of including both? Right. Or that there isn't a like a cutoff of like how much benefit you can get out of the length. And, and then we could still utilize that short position for regional hypertrophy or just to be stronger in that aspect of the range or maybe to accumulate a little bit more mechanical tension at a lower fatigue cost. Like those are the things where I'm like, I've never thrown the short position out completely. My approach has always been like we bias more length and training on our hypertrophy phases Right. And when we're focusing more on body composition stuff, which usually means that we're grinding more in a deficit and whatnot, I kind of shift that ratio 
a little bit because it allows me to accumulate a little bit more training volume relative to the fatigue, which for most people that tends to be helpful for their body composition aspect, right? You know. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess in a similar way, it's like the closer we get to failure on a set per set basis, we get more hypertrophy. It's like the more lengthened exposures we get or the more lengthened in exercises, maybe the more hypertrophy we get. But it's like, what's this, like maybe leaving some reps in reserve allows you to accumulate more volume and it's a little bit more quote unquote optimal. Uh, similar here, it's like maybe if you don't do all length and bias and you include a little bit of short and more bias positions, you get to a little bit more volume. Maybe that could be a bit more optimal, like this middle ground. It's ultimately one of those areas that's like, I guess we're still investigating, looking into, but uh, it's similar. Actually, something I've done is I wanted more lateral delt volume, but I was like, I'm doing a lot of length and biased movements. I'm going to do some dumbbell up, upright rows. Uh, sorry, dumbbell lateral raises into upright rows. Just like get a really high amount of pump and metabolic kind of disruption in that muscle just to kind of get a little bit more volume there. And they felt recovered and it feels like it could be productive, but it's kind of just one of those things. And I, I like what you mentioned there in terms of like, we don't want to throw out everything because there could be benefits to accumulating a little bit more volume with these short positions. And uh, when you're referring to the RDL, I did experiment with some length and partials on that. And also, like I said, on the leg press, and I found uh, my load was much less that I could do. Like my volume load would be way less um, for those because I was just like, you don't get that short position rest. Like at the top of an RDL, there's a little bit of rest there or the top of a leg press when you lock out or get close to a lockout, there's a little bit of rest there to like brace and come down again. So yeah, it was quite torturous when it's like that constant battle where you don't get any respite. <laughs> I find that that's one of the places where the integrated partials really shine. So for instance, I can get a volume load increase doing integrated partials on the leg press, right? Like, but if I do just partials, it's a massive drop in volume load. So it's like, okay, cool. This is a great place for those to get in. Cause basically every other rep, you do get that lockout, that little bit of that little bit of rest. Right. And this goes like, it kind of fits into like sometimes maybe doing a length and partial is kind of throwing you into like a, a constant tension set, um, which, you know, I don't think that like from a hypertrophy perspective that like a constant tension is necessarily benefit. It's the accumulated tension that we get like i don't think there you get bonus points if you never lose tension for yeah. a nanosecond i think basically it's like it's really just accumulating the mechanical tension over time right so in that instance where it's like okay cool like if you were to perform that maybe you would have to do it more of like oh actually i am going to you know do some sort of like cluster type set or some sort of method where you actually do get a little bit of a break and then you can you know do that right you know so there's like another possible application this is like you know if doing length and partials only in the leg press at the limiter is just like okay you're just under constant tension and you're not able to breathe well you know what happens if you do instead of 12 straight you do three clusters or i'm sorry four clusters of three or three clusters of four or whatever right like would that be a way of like implementing that method and increasing or maintaining you know volume load like again i think this is an area where people can really experiment but i do think i do think it's a stretch un, no pun intended <laughs> to think that if by applying the length and partial method we're getting less volume load that it's going to be better for hypertrophy right that i think we i think the the mechanism of which there's a benefit there, like all the ones that we're 
hypothesizing, none of those play out that that would be a situation with it where they would work, right? Like, cause it's like, okay, cause that's more about just like, we've just eliminated the short. That's really, we're doing less of, we're still doing less of the lengthened or the same amount in that situation. And we've just eliminated another part of the range, right? Which still does produce some mechanical tension. You know, I think people, you know, sometimes look at these things binary and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So all short position exercises don't produce a perch feed. I'm like, no, they do just marginally less than the, the lengthened ones, right? It's not like, you know, there's like, if you do those, you get zero gains. And if you do these, you get gains. Like that's not how it works, right? So I think that like, you know, if we're using these methods, we should see that improvement. And in a lot of instances where we're in a thing where you get to lock out, I think integrated partials actually are a really, really good solution there. I mean, I mean, that's, you know, for the longest time, like going back, I'll throw Charles Polkins name out here again, but I think John Meadows was a, you know, somebody that, you know, did these as, as well too. And I think that's, they actually, you know, I don't know who got, who gets things from who, you know, these days or those days. Um, you know, that was bad. That was before the internet. So who knows, right. And, you know, there was a conversation in the back room, someone, you know, and somebody passed off the training secrets to the, the, the other person. Um, but like, you know, using, you know, one and a quarters or double quarters and stuff in squat patterns, pressing patterns, et cetera. Like that was very, very common in Charles's, in, in Charles's programming thing of, of utilized, utilizing those methods. Right. And, you know, it wasn't called LinkedIn partial. So it was just called, you know, one and a quarters or whatever. Right. And then we've used the term integrated partials, you know, which basically just allows us to talk about it principally without having to say it's one and a quarters or two quarters. It's like it, this, the concept applies to all of, all, all of those methods. Right. So, um, but you know, I think, you know, you just got to try it, but look, I think the guide right now that I'm using, uh, is not just saying like the partials better, but it's saying, Hey, if lengthened partials does lead to more lengthened exposures, that probably allows for more stimulus in that given set. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, the other thought that's just popped into my head is whether uh, it's similar to resting more or, or resting less. And so resting more on a set per set basis, you're going to get more hypertrophy because you get more quality volume done and i wonder if maybe some of these like if you don't get as many exposures to length and range but maybe it's just less fatiguing overall because you don't come into that even though it's unloaded short position like it's like for one stimulus you always have to have one fatigue no matter what you do <laughs> i don't know if that's necessarily the case like what we want is the, the one stimulus for as little uh, fatigue cost as possible and then like trying to get as much stimulus for as little fatigue uh, and that's the exciting thing and i think that's where again self-experimentation comes in fuck around and find out or pull around and find out rather uh and and i love that and i haven't tried the integrated partials yet on like a, a hack squat or on a leg press where i've seen you guys using them so i'm i'm excited to kind of give that a shot at some point i've just tried them recently on the lateral raise uh like uh across body and behind body lateral raises which uh, I seem to like them uh, at this stage, at least. And yeah, like you said, it definitely hasn't, it doesn't feel like the same cost as maybe other length and partials do. Yeah. Another place that I like the integrated partials, I'm sure there's exercises where when you're doing the partial, you feel like you kind of have to throttle the intensity of the contraction so that you don't blow through the partial. Um, right. So I think, so when you're doing an integrated partial, it's kind of like you kind of throttle and then you have one basically higher intensity contraction in there right um and so i tend to like that and 
I don't know what your experience is in terms of just like the overall enjoyment of applying these methods. Like, and I mean, I have messed around with like extremely lengthened bias training and, and whatnot. And even here more recently, just been testing more and more. And I do think that like if the, there is definitely a decreased fun factor in training with the length and partials. That's, I mean, that's my opinion. It's my bias. You know, you know, somebody else may be like, no, I absolutely love that. Um, but I do think it, it is a, a more miserable methodology. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, sometimes, like, especially, like, the way that we're looking at, because we're, we're, some of these positions we're doing are far further into a stretch than what most people are doing in their training, right? Like, if you're just doing, you know, bilateral pull-downs, you're not getting the same stretch discomfort that I am in a, you know, pull around with my rib cage turned and, and, and all of that stuff. So there's going to be, there's going to be a difference there. Right. But I will say that like, you know, after like a certain number of weeks, it's almost like there's a want to just like have a, like to do some of the reps where you can just, 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 just go after it and not have to worry about that. Right. And I mean, that doesn't mean that by any means it takes away from the effectiveness, but from a practicality standpoint, like, there's there's that to consider too of just just like okay cool like you know even if we found out that this method was by far the best right what is that training experience and like you know what is what is the cost of that like because you know you love to train right if all of a sudden like if we came out with a definitive study that said like the best way to make gains was a training style that you no longer enjoyed that would you know that would be a tough that would be a tough decision right and it would have to like oh like but what if it's only like four percent better you're probably just going to choose the method that you that you prefer right yeah i i love that you've kind of brought it back to that and it actually brings it back to that optimal question where it's like it doesn't any of these aspects like oh it might be optimal to do this high number of sets or it might be optimal to do these length and partials or what have you but if that means you're not going to adhere to it long term and that's something i ask like i've incorporated some length and partials with clients and i always ask like are you enjoying these versus full rom and some do and some are like oh, man i just prefer the full rom stuff and i'm like okay so we we kind of keep them in there in the mix but we won't kind of move too far towards using them and then again it comes back to what you said in terms of that's the, the n equals one the art of coaching where you're individualizing it to the person at hand that is going to keep them long term kind of generating results have you ever used a flywheel steve a flywheel no i haven't i've seen you guys really? using them and i've like i've talked about them theoretically and everything and they seem disgusting <laughs> yeah that it's in some ways the length and partial training reminds me of the flywheel training experience because with the flywheel basically you it basically gives back whatever you put through right so there's like you know like if you're doing a set of eight reps each rep that you do like you there's a successful point where you've completed the rep you know and you do eight of them and and then you're done right with a flywheel basically like it's like a we'll say like it's an infinite drop set and so you just have to decide when you've suffered enough, right? Like you're just like, okay, because every rep is essentially a one rep max, but it's just like you're able to produce a little less force each time, each time, each time. And so it's really just like, okay, choose the amount of suffering that you want to endure. And that's, that's, that's what you're going to do. Right. And so for people that aren't going to push themselves and actually contract as hard as they can and aren't going to sustain that, well, then that type of training is just a complete waste of time. They're basically just going through the motions. Right. Um, but if you actually put in, you know, if you actually push forward into it, 
it's a totally different experience because you're just basically it's just it's in it's almost like I would say like they're unrewarding reps, right? Because with a with a weight, if you push harder, you can move it a little bit faster, right? And there's a sense of an accomplishment that you've lifted the weight. With the flywheel, it's it's just unforgiving. The harder you push, the harder it pushes back, right? So it literally has a negative reinforcement for working hard, but yet that's exactly what you need to do to get the benefit out of the tool, right? And I mean, it's fun to experiment, but I would not, I would not desire a program that was all flywheel training, right? Yeah. Like from, from an enjoyment perspective, right? If you told me that was going to give me 10 time results. Yeah. I would probably be one of those people like, okay, sure. I will, I, I will do it. And you know, I will suffer at least for a period of time. Right. Yeah. But you know, it's not going to be like, yeah, this is what, you know, this is what I want my maintenance training to look like, you know, when I'm <laughs> happy with everything. And I just want to, you know, stay. it's like, no, I'll choose something more enjoyable. Absolutely. Uh, Kasim, I want to say a huge thank you for coming on and, and spending this time with me. This has been a really fun chat. And uh, I really hope this has been the first podcast I've recorded of 2024. It won't beat that we've already had a podcast come out, I think. Um, if the, yeah, yeah, of course we have. Uh, but this is the first recording and it's been a really fun chat and I'm sure I'll get you on again. And uh, it, for 2024, I hope people are following you, uh, digesting your stuff because you're always coming out with, I think you're on that like cutting edge kind of has a bad tone to it now because it's like, oh, cutting edge, like science and I don't know. But you are, you're at that kind of cutting edge where you're really thinking deeply about these things. You are evidence-based, but take, trying to kind of almost be ahead of the evidence in some ways and you're gathering your own. And I have a lot of respect and time for that. So I appreciate you uh, doing what you're doing with N1 and taking the time here. And again, uh, hopefully we can get you on in future. Yeah, always a pleasure, Steve. And I hope we can get you on our practice. Yes. Cheers, guys. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it and we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicut movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.